Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Welcome back to the Extra Inning Post Game Show with Bill Lasky. I'm honored to uh, bring a friend of mine to the show today. 15 years he played in Major League Baseball, 10 with the Oakland A's, 3 with the California Angels, 2 with the Boston Red Sox. He was a American League batting champion with the Red Sox in 81, along with a Silver Slugger Award that went with it, an All-Star in 1988 with the Oakland A's, and a World Series champion in 1989. Let's welcome in Carney Lansford. Carney, how are you today? I'm doing great, Bill. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining me. And, of course, you and I both were analysts back in the day with Comcast. We had some great conversations about baseball. Do you miss doing stuff like that? Do you miss being an analyst? Um, the analyst with you, I did for the first couple of years, but probably not so much now. I'm pretty much settled in here in uh, the Phoenix, Arizona area. So I, I'm just, like, enjoying my retirement, really. <laughs> Yeah, and that's what's great about it. I mean, uh, those are some great conversations. Vita Blue, of course, and I were doing Giants. You were on the Oakland A's side. And just some of the stories that you and Vita brought up in your Oakland A's days and some of the things of that magnitude. Uh, let's go back a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, right out of baseball, you ended up being a hitting coach. You were with the Giants for a couple years. You ended up going over to the Rockies. Was that a difficult uh, transformation for you from going to, uh, as a player and jumping right into kind of analyzing hitters and trying to help them uh, understand the way it hit? No, you know, it really wasn't a difficult uh, challenge for me. I, I really enjoyed working in the, in the batting cage when I was a player. I was always one of the first soft toss guys, and uh, that started in Boston with Walt Riniak, our hitting coach there. So, you know, I really enjoyed being in the cage and working with guys and, and watching videos and film and stuff and trying to uh, get their swings straight. And So it was, really, it was kind of an easy thing to adapt to, really. You know, Carney, of course, we see so many shifts now and hitters just can't go the opposite way. Uh, they sometimes try to lay bunts down. Uh, you were that type of hitter where you went right field line, left field line. You went with a pitch. You took the ball inside and drove it. Uh, outside pitch, you had no chance of, you know, even getting in front of her. You stayed back so nicely and went to right field. That type of hitting that you learned and how you uh, did so great at, why is it so difficult now in this new era of hitters, especially going the opposite way? You just don't see it anymore. You know, Bill, in the two games that I have watched in the last couple of years, you know, I, I, I read about it a lot and you hear it from other guys there's so many every player is going up trying to hit home runs and you know for me you know that's why they do the shift thing if you don't want to do the shift learn to hit the ball the other way right uh, so you know it's it's a, you know it's really frustrating for me to watch guys nowadays you know it seems like everybody strikes out 150 times a year and it's not a big deal for them but for me when i played i struck out 100 times which i think i did one time Maybe my second year in the big leagues with 654 official at, at bats, 
uh, if I struck out a hundred times, I, I don't. It would drive me crazy. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I'm looking at your stats right now. Good memory, right there. 1979, you did. You had 712 plate appearances. You struck out 115. That is it. Out of your 15 years, uh, you definitely made contact most of the time, and you and you drove the ball. Your batting averages when you ended up your career after 15 years was 290. Uh, 1981, of course, one of your best years at 336. That was a year when you won the batting champion and Silver Slugger Award. But, you know, you were always that type of guy that you could not pitch in one direction. You had to mix it up and once in a while try to get you to fish, and you never did. But you, you had a great eye. I mean, your walks, I mean, you had over 550 walks. So uh, you were a disciplined hitter. And, and I always look at these hitters now, you know, because back in our era, back in our day, the disciplined hitters were even more. And, and now it just doesn't seem like the discipline's there. As you say, they try to swing for the fences. They don't care about the strikeouts. And, and this men, mentality of it has changed the game of baseball as well as hitting. Yeah, you know, it's just really, it's really frustrating for me to watch the game now because guys don't give up at bats to move a runner from second to third anymore. It's very rare that they do that. And, and usually if they do, most of the time it's a left-handed hitter pulling the ball that moves the guy over there. So mm-hmm. that's kind of frustrating to, to watch. And me playing in Oakland for as many years as I did with Ricky Henderson as a leadoff guy, and I hit second, you know how many times I had to hit the ball the opposite way to get him the third. So... <laughs> You know, I'm just glad that when I was in Boston, I learned how to hit the ball the right field. So that really paid off for me the rest of my career. It, it sure did, and, and your career was uh, elegant. I mean, it was some of the numbers that you put up were Hall of Fame numbers. Uh, let's start off. You grew up in San Jose, and you went to Wilcox High School. And uh, did you play other sports there, Carney, besides baseball? Yeah, actually, you know, I, I grew up in Santa Clara. I was born in San Jose, but I grew up in Santa okay. Clara, which is right next to San Jose. Uh, went to Wilcox. I did play three sports. I played football, basketball, and baseball. And to be honest with you, I think I enjoyed, of, of the three sports, I enjoyed football and basketball even more than I did baseball. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, I did get a couple injuries, though, from, from playing football. I dislocated my right knee my freshman year. and my senior year, I dislocated my left shoulder. So. <laughs> Not good right there. <laughs> I had to get real good at baseball. I'm not trying to depend on football. <laughs> well, you know, I, I talk a lot uh, about uh, kids today playing baseball 12 months a year, and I always ask this uh, with athletes that go through high school and play in multiple sports. And, you know, we believe to play multiple sports, it was football, the basketball, the baseball, and you just put one ball down, went to the next one. Do you think baseball – do you think parents are pushing kids too much to play baseball 12 months a year? Well, you know, I'll be honest, uh, Bill, when my boys were in high school, they went to St. Francis High School in Mountain View, and they were pressured to play only one sport. Um, and they were both drafted. Uh, the youngest one out of high school in the second round as a pitcher, and, and the older one in, the, I think, the fifth or sixth round – as a third baseman with the Cubs. And, you know, I, I didn't like that, you know, the, the coaches in high school pressured the kids to, to play one sport. Um, you know, for instance, my son Josh was playing baseball, and the basketball coach wanted him to get up and, and be at school like, like 6 o'clock for pra- basketball practice. And I said, this is baseball season for Josh. He's not going to be playing basketball. So. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. and no, I, that's, and that's what happens too. Nowadays. Yeah, I tell you what, coaches change a lot, and and you know the the baseball leagues, they always have to travel ball, and you're putting so much money into it, and you know all these coaches continue to tell kids, parents, you know, hey, you got to keep playing, you got to keep doing this, and it's going to cost you thirty five hundred dollars. So you know, it's always yeah, a mindset of the dollar sign more than watching uh, the kid play, and. You know, I got into a, not an argument. I was at a high school game, and uh, one of my buddies was a coach. And the father was going, oh, he doesn't know anything. My travel ball coach knows more than him. And I stepped aside, and I said, can I ask you a question? He goes, what's that? And I go, you like travel ball? And he goes, yeah. And I go, why isn't your travel ball coach out here watching him play high school ball then? And, boy, <laughs> yeah. he looked at yeah, he looked at me, and he said, wow, I never thought of that. And I go, well, if he was so in tune with your kid – why isn't he out here watching? Because they don't watch at high school. They want them to come and breed them themselves, and you got to understand what they're teaching. And, you know, you were a fantastic player as well as a coach. I mean, sometimes, Carney, this gets too overemphasized. Yeah, uh, well, for sure. You know, I, let me tell you a little story. One time when my youngest son was after his junior year in high school, uh, he got invited to a tournament in Florida. And it was the only tournament we ever went to like that. And we got there, he flew all the way there, had to get a hotel room, pay a fee to do the thing. And he ended up getting one inning of pitch and one at bat at the plate. And that was it. And, you know, when I was there, that's not even the worst part. I had a number of people that had flown their kids there from Hawaii. Wow. They got one at bat. One at bat to fly all the way over there. They were Period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a vacation, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, really, but, man. Yeah, and you know what? And, and you know, I, I don't fall into that, and you never fell into it either. You know, you're at Wilcox, probably playing summer ball like I did. We didn't really have travel ball back then, um, but you ended up playing summer ball, and like you said, you went into football and then basketball, and that. I just think multiple sports gives you so much more. Uh, thinking of the game, different teammates, team difference. And I just try to stress that a little bit more with my listeners. Yeah, you know, I, I think more than anything else, I, I worry about uh, kids playing ball so much year-round now, nowadays that they, get, they might get burned out, you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. it's, it's good to play different sports, not just the same one for that reason alone. Carney Lansford joining me on Extra Innings. I Once you get into Wilcox, you get drafted – Third round, 1975 Major League Baseball draft to the Angels. Um, and literally, you signed out of high school. How was that with your parents? Were you ready to make that jump right out of high school? Absolutely. That's all I ever wanted to do from the time I think I was five or six years old would be a, a, a professional baseball player, Major League Baseball player. So, you know, when I was drafted in the third round, you know, my parents were a little bit hesitant, but, you know, I, I actually had to almost beg them to let me sign. I wanted to go to the minor league balls like in a hurry, you know, I was ready to play and they eventually gave in to me, you know, it lasted about two weeks. You know, I'm glad I did. You know, I was only in the minor league a little over two years Mm -hmm. and uh, was able to make the major league team out of spring training in 1978. I was just going to say that you jumped through the minor leagues extremely fast. Just going back, once you signed, when you went to rookie ball, once they signed you, this is the California angels. Now, uh, any kind of fear in you when you went into that locker room? You saw college kids. You saw older kids. Was, was there any kind of fright? Was there any kind of like, wow, the, these guys are older, they're bigger? Was there anything coming out of your mind? Because you're fresh out of high school. 
Yeah, you know, there were a lot of guys a lot bigger than me. I was 6'2", 195 pounds when I graduated high school. So uh, the thing that scared me was our, our manager. He met me at, when I got off the plane in Idaho Falls. And the first thing he says to me, you have a game tonight, and I want your hair above your ears, and no facial hair. And this and that. I'm like, did, I, did I sign to play baseball, or did I sign to go in the Army? The military. Yeah, you went to the military. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and you probably said, wait a minute, this is the California Angels, not the New York Yankees. <laughs> it was amazing because I had no idea, literally had no idea that in, in the minor leagues, you play every day. There's no off days. Mm-hmm. And, and we went, you know, I was in that, that uh, in Idaho Falls, and we played in Lethbridge, Canada. We would drive on a bus for 12 hours, get out, and start playing the game, sometimes without BP. And I, that was the thing that <laughs> was a little difficult I had to get used to. Yeah, those are a lot of trying times because you didn't have that, especially you didn't go to college, so you went right to high school. And as as you said earlier, at the age of 21, 1978, you got an opportunity to go to the big leagues. Do you remember the call where you were and what did the manager end up telling you? You know, I, I'm, gonna, I'm glad you asked me that. It was just really interesting how it all happened. We were actually playing our last game of spring training in Yuma, Arizona against the Padres. And I had a really good spring. Like my first at bat in spring training uh, in Palm Springs, I hit a home run off a, a pitcher from the A's. Uh, and, but anyway, they wanted to have a good, a good spring, and we're, they're playing that final game. I was I didn't start the game for whatever reason, but in the eighth inning, uh, a man who came up to me and said, "Hey, it was Dave Garcia." He came up to me and he said, "Hey, you're going to hit, you know, lead off next inning." So I, I actually I was. I've never done that before. I've never pinch hit in my life. <laughs> first time. And so I, I had to, I just grabbed the first bat that I could find. I went up and had to hit a ball to the right center, right at getting a triple. So after the game, there's two buses. After you shower and, and get dressed, there's two buses. One's going back to Palm Springs, mm-hmm. and the other one's going to, to L.A. We're going to fly into L.A. and head to Anaheim from there. Well, the game's over. I'm showered, dressed, and nobody ever said a word to me. I have no idea what, what bus to get on. So I thought, like, well, I'm just going to be done. The, you know, the, no one is going to Anaheim. And I, we actually go, we had to go to, the, we left out of Palm Springs Airport. We're at the airport, and I'm sitting there, and then Dave Garcia finally comes up to me and he says, congratulations. I'm like, thank you. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'll, I'll, I'll try not to let you down. He says, I know you, I know you won't. Those are great times, and uh, everybody remembers that. And, you know, people always ask me, and and as well as you, when you do speaking engagements, what's the number one thing you remember? And it's really getting that call-up, getting that opportunity to go to the big leagues because that's what we played all through our kids in high school and college. And here's that opportunity to finally get to the finish line. And coming out of spring training, that was pretty exciting. <laughs> Boy, I remember those trips to Yuma and Palm Springs, too. Those were those were some long bus rides from Phoenix. So uh, yeah. good times right yeah. there. So your rookie year, you stepped right in. You had 500 plate appearances. You hit 294, eight home runs, 23 doubles, two triples. And, and you know your, your overall year was fantastic. You feel you, uh, you finished third in the AL Rookie of the Year. Who won the Rookie of the Year in '78? Uh, uh, I believe it was I think it was Lou Whitaker, and then okay. Paul Molitor finished second, and then I finished third. So yeah, those are fancy. Yeah, pretty good for rookie class there. 
And then you think, you know, you, you had a great year, your rookie year. Next year, 79, started right in, right back at it. 157 games, I love saying that, in a 162-game season because you won't hear those in the modern day. And uh, another backup great season. You hit 287, uh, a more plate, of pats, plate appearances because you were playing every day. Uh, what did you think from your first year to your second year mentally preparing for that year and then, you know, playing every day pretty much because you only missed five games of the year. Yeah, you know, I, th- I think I was just used to everything more the second year. You know, I knew the guys. Man. When I first walked into the Major League Spring Training for the first time, I'm walking in, I'm, I'm seeing guys like Nolan Ryan, hmm. Bobby Gritch, Don Baylor, Joe Rudy, all these guys. And I'm like, I was just like <laughs> in awe. You know, and they uh-huh. had no no idea. They had no idea who I was. In fact, Bobby Rich, in the middle of the season, was asked by a reporter about me, and he goes, "You know, I, I didn't really think about it. I just thought he was another guy with a funny name in the clubhouse." <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I I got to know the guys that first season, and, and so it was a much I was much more comfortable going into spring training. I don't know. I just I had fun playing. I loved playing with. Them. Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose, to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. That voice you hear is Carney Lansford as we jump through his career. And again, you know, another following year, 1979, 1982, and back-to-back years. So you got three years now with the California Angels, and then all of a sudden you get traded, and you get traded to the Red Sox uh, after the 80 season. Do you remember that call? Do you remember the trade? And were you kind of upset? Because sometimes players get upset. Other players to say, hey, you know what? Somebody else wants me more. How did you feel when that came down? Well, you know, it's, it's, there's a little story behind that. Um, you know, we, we had a terrible season in, in 1980 after going to the playoffs in 79. But during the season, we lost every starting player except for myself and Bobby Gritch got hurt. And so we just didn't have the team that we had the year before. But Anyway, they, they came out and said, the Eagles came out and said to the fans, we're going to put a completely different team on the field next year. So that kind of, you know, writing was on the walls there. But I was actually, it was the offseason. I was the first trade, I believe. And uh, I was actually lifting weights with Brian Downing. And my wife called and she was in tears. Because wow. she, she found out before me that I got traded. Uh-huh. And She's a California girl. She went to Wilcox as well, and her family's <laughs> in, in California. So going all the way across, you know, the, the, the country to, to Boston to play, uh, it hurt, hit her pretty good. But, you know, I went in with, with an open mind. And, uh, you know, one of the next trades was Joe Looney and Frank Tanana and a couple other guys. So I was going to Boston with, like, four, four of my other teammates. Mm-hmm. So it, it, was, it made it a lot easier, let's put it that way. But I enjoyed Boston. I loved playing there for two years. They just weren't going to pay anybody besides Jim Rice and 
and Dwight Evans at that time. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what happened there. And in two years there, you of course, in 1981, a strike-shortened season, but still, you ended up hitting 336. Those numbers don't lie. And, you know, 134 hits again, and, you know, we didn't even get into the hits, 188 and 79, 157 and 80. And, and everything was working out. You were playing every day, once again, short strike season, and that kind of killed you there. But, you know, that was really when you were consistent. 336, that number is just phenomenal. Uh, what happened in Boston where the consistency started coming, uh, seeing more pitches? Was it uh, shorter left field? How was it playing in Boston? And, and how did you get so successful and, and so consistent? One one name, Walt Reniak. <laughs> wow. He was a phenomenal hitting coach. Uh, early in spring training the year I got traded over there, Joe Rudy came up to me and said, see that guy standing over there? I want you to go introduce yourself to that guy. And I did, and the rest is history. He kind of just started analyzing my swing, got me in the cage day after day. We didn't miss a day of soft toss in the cage. He taught me how to stay behind or inside the ball and hit the ball to you know the opposite field. And that's why I was able to win the batting title because I learned how to actually hit the ball on, on purpose the other way. When I was in, An- in, in Anaheim with the Angels, I hit the ball the right field. It was probably an accident. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? And, and it's just that one person. And like you said, Walt Riniak was a fantastic hitting coach. A lot of players uh, just bragged about how his intentions were and how he taught. And, I mean, that's what it was. If anybody asked me how how I pitched Carney Lansford, you couldn't pitch him in the same spot because you went to right field so well in the days when I got to watch you, and then you drove the ball to left field so well. So after two years in Boston – you end up getting traded to Oakland, so your wife had to have been happy. She's closer now to Wilcox, so she's, now you're back into Oakland. How was that trade? And, you know, you, you came right into a hell of a team with the Oakland A's, and you ended up spending the next 10 years there. Yeah, you know, actually the story behind that one is that trade is we, I actually requested a trade because, like I said, the, the Red Sox were only going to uh, pay Jim Rice and Dwight Evans you know, and maybe one or two other guys, they weren't going to pay a lot of guys the money that I felt that I deserved. So uh, Jerry Tafton was actually my agent. Um, so he requested the trade, and I, and I happened to be on vacation in Hawaii that offseason. And actually, the, the, the trade, when they made the trades, they were on one of the different islands over there. So we were over there when this whole thing was going down. So I get a call from Jerry Tafton in my hotel one, one day going, well, Looks like you're going to be either a New York Yankee or an Oakland A's. And I went, oh please, Lord God, please let it be Oakland. Don't, I don't, I don't really like. I don't even like going to New York. So, twenty minutes later, he calls back and is Oakland, and we, my wife and I, are both just ecstatic to be going back to the Bay Area. Yeah, and you definitely did, and your your career just launched in Oakland, of course. Uh, a World Series champion in 1989, uh, three World Series, uh, covering 33 games. You hit 305, 39 for 128. American League championships, five of them. Um, your team gelled. Ricky Henderson, as you said, Jose Canseco was on that club. Uh, a very good nucleus of players. How was that clubhouse walking in, and how did it gel so well? You know, it, it, we just had a blast. We loved each other. We had loved competing together. That's the biggest thing is I played with those guys, and they were a bunch of guys that competed. You know, Dennis mm-hmm. Eckersley, I don't know if there's a guy that competes harder than him unless it's like Dave Henderson. 
You know, those kind of guys. And we had Terry Steinbach and just old school type guys, you know, that, you know, that wanted to win, did not like to lose. So um, we, we, had a, we had a good time. We had, a, you know, some characters on the team. You know, they always expect Jose to do something stupid, you know, take the pressure off everybody else. So, uh, you know, yeah. but it, it was fun. We had, you know, Mark McGuire was a great guy. Walt Weiss, or, you know, Tony Phillips. I guess go on and on. Every one of those guys, even our our backup guys, Stan Javier and those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody needed a rush, you put a guy like Stan Javier in there, and you, you know, you're not missing much at all, if anything. Yeah, so, I tell you what, that, those were some strong teams, some great names right there, reminiscing on some of the great Oakland A's players as teammates, as as well as how you bonded. I mean, it was a great bond. Of course, in 89, the Earthquake uh, Series came with the San Francisco Giants. I just want to talk a little bit about that. How did that affect you as a player when you were a candlestick, when the Earthquake hit? And nobody knew what to do. Of course, you were a Bay Area native, so you understood the marina. You heard, you understood a lot of things going on in San Francisco. Uh, your first thoughts when that happened? You know, Bill, that was such a weird thing. You know, it was right before Game Three, I think it was, uh, of the series. The first one over in Candlestick, and I was actually running sprints in the outfield, the left field outfield. Mm-hmm getting ready for the game, and all of a sudden, I didn't, I didn't even feel the earthquake because I was running. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I hear a cloud go crazy, and I thought, okay, well, you know, Will Clark or, or Kevin <laughs> Mitchell or somebody just walked out onto the field, and, you know, I didn't realize what was happening. So, anyways, I'm sitting in the dugout with three or four other people, and Tony LaRusse is sitting there with me. Bobby Welch is getting ready to go down to the bullpen to start warming up, and this guy above the dugout has one of the first um, – portable TVs. Mm-hmm. He goes, Carney, the Bay Bridge collapsed. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, right. He goes, don't look. <laughs> you know, the marina's on fire. And I'm like, holy cow. And then, so pretty soon, you know, you're into it. You get ready to play a World Series game. So, you know, to hear that's going on. And then Tony's saying something like, preparing for the game. I said, Tony, we can't start this game. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, we don't have any lights. We don't have a scoreboard. There's no power whatsoever. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> soon, uh, I was the player rep for the A's. So Sandy Allison came up to me and said, hey, look, I want you to get all the guys, get the families down from the stands. I want you guys to go back in the clubhouse, get your clothes. We're getting back on the bus. And we're going back to the Coliseum. This was way worse than anybody realizes. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, oh, man, start calling my wife down. Joe Rudy was there at the game. I said, hey, come on down here on the field or whatever. And uh, Terry Steinbach and his wife are from Minnesota. And she was paranoid being in the Bay Area about earthquakes as it is. So there's a photo of her. She's just bawling on her eyes yeah. out of the stands. And uh, so anyways, we get back on the bus, and we're heading back out. And you know, we came across the, the bridge to get to – I can't remember the name of that bridge to get to San Mateo uh, Bridge, probably going toward. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it took us like 20 minutes or something to get there. Well, now we're on the bus, and, and I'm worried about my family because like we we lived in San Ramon at the time, and I had two small kids, and we didn't know, you know, what happened over there. Are they okay? This and that. This is before cell phones. Right. So I had to I had to wait to get back to the Coliseum to call and check up on my kids and see if everything was all right. But anyways. It was weird because we were on the road and, and you couldn't go back across the bridge because they didn't know if there was damage to the bridge. 
Hmm. So we had to circle on the 101 and go down to the, you know, around San Jose, back over to Highway 880 over there, yeah. and then back up to the Coliseum. It took us like two hours to get, you know, we're going the opposite way on bridges to, you know, to get somewhere. And it was just the craziest thing ever. And, you know, just worrying about everybody's family and so forth. That was the worst part. I think also with the families, they were up in the stands and everybody was starting to come down in the field and everybody just started understanding what was going on. The light fixtures were were staggering up at top. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, the screen going totally out on my television and then the house shook. And, you know, you start remembering back then and there was a World Series going on. The whole Candlestick Park was full. And, you know, it, it is uh, one time, you know, one thing was nobody got injured. Nobody really got hurt at Candlestick. They did get out in time. And it was just the long ride home of everybody. And like you said, it took you two hours uh, to get back to Oakland. But you ended up playing again and you ended up winning that World Series uh, a World Series that, you know, you, you defined and through an earthquake, but still it was a World Series championship. And how did you like that with the Oakland A's and, uh, you know, rejoicing that with that whole group of players? Well, you know, you know, because you play, Bill, and it's not a six-month season like everybody says. It's, it, when you start spring training, that's another month. And then in the playoffs, you know, there's another three or four weeks back then. That's before all the different playoffs you have now. So to grind out a full season like that is so rewarding to make it to the playoffs and then to win, you know, to win a world series is your ultimate dream. And you're always going to have that ring. And the biggest thing for me, you know, Joe Rudy won three back to back to back titles Mm. with the A's in the early seventies. And we both lived up in Northeastern Oregon and he had a ranch there. And I would go over and visit him. And as soon as you walk into his house, he had those three great big, World champion trophies that I had to look at all the time. You know, back then, Charlie Finley, you know, he was a rebel, man. He, we got the small World Series trophies. We got the, the, the real size World Series trophies for his players. Right. And so, you know, I, I no longer had to finally go to his house and just look at his and, and go, man, I want us so bad. You want one of those? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I, I take no more pride in anything than to wear my World Series ring. And I don't wear it all the time, but. I take a lot of pride in it when I do wear. Oh, no doubt about it. So finishing up here with Carney Lansford. Carney, I, I looked up some of the pitchers you raked and some of the pitchers that got you, and I'm going to start off with some of them that you hit really well. And the first one is Milt Wilcox from the Detroit Tigers, uh, 24 for 56, 429. And I'm going to stay right there with the Baltimore Orioles and Mike Boddicker, both right-handers. You hit him 423. What did you see in both those guys that you pretty much mounted an attack against them? You know, Bill, there's certain guys that throw a, a certain kind of curveball. <laughs> it just likes to hang there sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I don't like those 12-6 curveballs that a lot of guys are throwing nowadays, like Daryl Kyle used to throw and all those right. guys like that, like like Barry Zito, you know. Um, but the ones that were kind of three-quarter rotation-like, you know, a lot of times they had a tendency to hang. In fact, mm-hmm. Jim Palmer used to say, you know, I hate you. You hit a curveball as good as anybody I know. <laughs> and, uh, but, but anyway, I think I just saw the ball really well against, you know, those two guys. Um, you know, I, I think, to be honest with you, the two teams that I have the best career average against, I think, are the teams I played for, the Angels and the Red Sox. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a few Red Sox on here and uh, definitely a, a couple Angels, too. But, you know, you start thinking about some of these other hitters, I mean, some of the other pitchers. Matt Keogh, another guy from the Oakland A's, you raked him 18 for 34. 
Uh, you go to Burt Blylevin, 15 for 46, and, you know, I'm looking at that, and as, as you're talking about the curveball, and there's your curveball pitchers also, especially Burt Blylevin. He had that nasty curveball. But it seemed with your swing, too, you you swung, you know, your swing path was low also. You didn't you didn't really go high. You you had a nice swing path going low. Now let's go to some of the pitchers that you had a problem with. One was Frank Viola. And you only hit 212 off of him. You were 14 for 66 off him. And then the other one is a, another lefty here. Let me go to here. I looked at Bert, Bert, uh, Brett Saberhagen was another one, weight 84. Just looking for another lefty. I missed it. But I'm going to say Brett Saberhagen every other year, Cy Young winner. Enough said. Exactly. Oh, I know. And, and I tell you what, he was nasty. He could throw a lot of breaking balls. But what about Frank Viola? Frank Viola, left-handed. You know, he was kind of three-quarters. Uh, good breaking ball, good locator and fastball. You know, I, I don't remember having that tough a time. I mean, you know, there's certain guys, though, and you, you just have bad luck. I mean, if you hit a line drive, I have right. somebody – so, I, you know, I don't remember him being one of the guys where I thought, oh, man, I've got to face Frank Viola tonight. The guy that I had trouble with, to be honest with you, the guy that killed me, sidearm guys. Dan Who's Cleveland, that? Guys like that. Oh, okay, sidearmers. Guys like yeah. There was a guy in Cleveland. His name was Steve Olin. And he actually, I don't know if you remember this, back, back then, him and Bobby Ojeda and another guy mm-hmm. were out late at night one night, and they were on a boat, and their boat hit the dock or something. He ended up. Uh, That's right. That I do remember that story. That, yeah. That guy owned me. Literally owned <laughs> me. It was a nightmare when he's coming in the game. So, well, Dan Quisenberry, fun. six for 29, so he definitely got a hold of you, 207. Uh, the other one yeah, was yeah. Charlie Liebrandt, a lefty. He, of course, he was with the Reds, and he ended up going to American League a little bit. He was a little funky, though. He had a funky motion. Uh, again, you know, some of these lefties, like you say, you know, you weren't really fearful of them, but somehow, some way, you walk back to the bench going, how the hell did I get out? <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know what? I'll tell you a quick story. That, you know, it happens to every player, obviously. You know, George, Jan Flutenberry used to tell a story about George Brett. One, one game hitting four line drives right at somebody. And after he went down to the dugout to come into the game, George was sitting in a garbage can. <laughs> 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 what are you going to do, you know? I mean, I, I heard that. I laughed so hard. I could relate. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. So we're finishing up here with Carney Lansford. And, and the last question here, when you look at your baseball career, 15-year career, you hit 290, 151 home runs, 874 RBIs. And there's a, there's a stat here that I forgot to talk about, and that was 224 stolen bases. And uh, you did. You were You were quick on your feet. When you think about your whole career, what what is Major League Baseball? And if you had to thank Major League Baseball, what was it about it that you would thank them for? Uh, well, boy, I guess the camaraderie with the, with the, the players. Um, you know, it was always my dream, like I said, to be a Major League Baseball player, and, and I got to do that for 15 years, and got to coach it for another eight after I finished playing. So. Um, I think the camaraderie of the guys, that's the, when I stopped playing, that was the one thing I missed more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tell you what, I think I, I think most players do that, Carney. I think most of all the players, when I ask that question, a lot of them is friendships. A lot of times they say, you know what, baseball will always go on. We'll, we'll always see baseball moving on, but it's that friendship. It's that clubhouse. It's that laughter. It's that you know, one-on-one and, and conversations. And then, you know, uh, watching your kids grow up, watching the players' kids grow up. And it's definitely a family affair. 
absolutely. Uh, you know, another thing I heard, and this is that, like you said, the one-on-one conversations, but the one-on-one competition uh, against the best players on the earth was really, you know, if you had a good game against a pitcher, it's so gratifying because this guy's in the big leagues, just like you are, so he's one of the best in the world, and you had a good night against him. So, you know, it's gratifying to, to put in the work and, and to compete like that and, and have those kind of nights. So I enjoy that stuff. Yeah, and you were good at it, Carney. And I, I want to thank you for your time today. My listeners will and KMBR will definitely love this. You were a great competitor with the Oakland A's, the Red Sox, and the Angels. And I want you to sit back and retire now. You can sit back and relax. And, uh, again, thank you so much for your time, Carney. Okay, Bill, always a pleasure talking to you, bud. Thanks. All right, my friend Carney Lansford again uh, joining me on Extra Innings. More coming up right here on KNBR, the sports leader. Are you ready for hard-hitting observations? She is the least credible person I may have ever seen on camera. The Ben Shapiro Show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Guys, not everything is 40 chess. Why can't we just laugh? Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. We all know I'm the number one rapper in the world thanks to Facts by Tom McDonald. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.